0: To Romans chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today. Romans chapter 6. I just ask that the Lord would come today with his anointing. The Bible says it's the anointing of the Lord that breaks the yoke. Would y'all say that with me? It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. It's not it's not enticing words or men's wisdom. It's not a good prepared sermon. It's not things are outlined really well and it flows well. And I've spent so much time that God has to come here and, and do something. It's not that at all. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. So for the Holy Spirit, we ask that you will come with the anointing of, of Jesus right now and release it in this room to break the yoke. Today, I want to talk about being under grace. Under grace. That sounds great, right? <laughs> Oh, thank you, Jesus. I, I, we, we hear the word grace, and all kinds of things come to our mind. Some, some people, you hear the word grace, and you think of prayer. Like, hey, say grace you know, at the mealtime. Some people think grace is just letting people go and not, not, not having any punishment or any res, you know, responsibility for actions. Well, I'm under grace. I'm not under the law anymore. So you know, that's not grace. Grace is a really big topic. And so I'm going to ask you for grace today as I dive into it. I'm going to cover what I can. This is not a theological argument. This is just a word the Lord put in my heart. Um, We started a few weeks ago when we started talking about being unpunishable. And I'm I'm glad all the books that we had, you've taken them. I hope you're reading it. I hope it's doing something in your life. It's a life-changing book. So if you don't have it, see me. We'll get you a book, Unpunishable by Danny Silk. And because of Jesus, we're unpunishable. Like my Pentecostal brain, my assembly of God tattooed rear end brain, hears that. And I think, wait a second, I can be punished. Like there, there is a hell, right? Yeah, there is a hell and I can choose to go there, but it's not his punishment that sends me there. It's my choice because Jesus paid for all of it at the cross. You're like, well, what about this thing? Yep. Even that thing. What about that thing? I haven't even done yet. Yep. That too. What about the thing I do on purpose? Yep, even that. Yeah. He paid for it. Come on. The penalty, the, 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 the sentence for my crimes has been paid in full at the cross. And that kind of messes with us, right? Uh, so let's dive in. I know it's a big topic. We're going to dive into this. So if you'll join me, this is Romans chapter 6, verse 14. And it says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Everyone say Dominion. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but are under grace. Let's all read that out loud. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but are under grace. Now, if you really want a great big picture of this story, you need to read the whole book of Romans from the beginning to the end. It's the story of what grace looks like, what the purpose of the law was. Paul even says that the law was added so that sin would increase. (laughs) The law was put in place to reveal to us how many sins we were actually committing and didn't know it. How many ways we were missing the path of God and were unaware of it. So the law was brought in to say, hey guys, I'm in love with you. That's not going to change, but you're missing the path towards righteousness. So here are all the ways that you need to live that path. And it became a weight. It's impossible to live according to the law. Did you know that the Bible says that if I decide that I'm going to live by the law of God, good luck. Yeah. If I decide, hey, I'm Jared, I'm really strong, I'm disciplined, I can can discipline my flesh and I'm going to do all the law. If I decide to live that way and I break even one of them then I'm guilty of all of it because I've chosen to be under the law and not under grace and under the law. If you break one, you're guilty of all. But Jesus came and paid the full price on the cross so that even if I'm guilty of one, he's paid for it and I stay in relationship with him. Then he's paid for it. There is a place of grace for me to come and grace doesn't mean he just sweeps it under the rug. Because the, the behavior, the thing that I did is a problem. Yeah. It has wages that comes with it. And he wants to deal with that once and for all. And so Paul teaches this whole concept of the law came, but thanks be to God who sent Jesus Christ, who who quenched the appetite of the law. See, the law demanded for someone to be punished. Yeah. And so they offered sacrifices. Constantly, They would offer these offerings and sacrifices before God to say, hey, please forgive us for all of the sins that we've committed and the ones we knew about and the ones we didn't know about. And here's our sacrifice of offering to you to forgive us for the sins of our past year. And then they would go another year and commit all kinds of sins. And then they would go and offer these sacrifices to say, please don't hold those things against us until it just was like paying the the minimum balance on our credit card. We're okay for now, but man, the the balance was building. And that's the way it was under the law. But Paul says, thank you that Jesus came. It was the perfect sacrifice. And he once and for all, the spotless lamb. If Jesus sinned, this wouldn't have worked. Mm -hmm. If Jesus failed the mission, none of this would have worked. But Jesus nailed it. He crushed it. And because Jesus was spotless and was a perfect man without sin, without guile, without fault, without any deception in him, when he was sacrificed, he quenched the full appetite of the law once and for all. He was the perfect sacrifice. And so now he instituted a new law. It's not the law of, of the commandments, the 500 and something commandments of God. It was now the law of grace. And we are not under the old law. We are under grace. Amen? So let's give a quick definition of grace. I usually say grace is the empowering presence of God. That's true. I wanted to make it a little bit more clear. Grace is the living, personal presence of God, which empowers us to be righteous as he is righteous. So grace is the breath of God, the presence of God, the ruach, right? Remember, yeah. Oh, that still gets me, man. The breath of God living inside of me, that it's his presence that gives me life, that animates me, that empowers me to do righteous things, to be righteous because he's righteous. Not because of me, because remember, if I decide that I'm going to be righteous by doing all of the law, then I'm under a really heavy burden that's impossible, But if I come to Jesus and I say, you are the savior of the world, you are my Lord. I surrender my life to him. Now I am living under the law of grace and his grace empowers me to do what I couldn't do before. And what I couldn't do before was have dominion over sin. We can go back to our verse, sin shall not have dominion over you. There is a way that we can live that sin has dominion over us. And it's living outside of grace. If I try to live the Christian lifestyle, and I love how Shagoon said it, I don't like, I, I'm with you. I don't like being called a Christian because it has a, a corporate system built around it. But a follower of Christ means something completely different. A disciple, that means something completely different. But Christianity has built this thing, right, and it's, and it's corrupted this whole system, right, but Jesus wants to come and bring real grace to us where where we are not under the dominion of the system anymore. But we are under the dominion of his kingdom. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for we are not under the law, we are under grace, and grace is the living personal presence of God which empowers us to be righteous as he is righteous. So we need to define righteousness. Whew. It's a big word righteousness. We usually say it's to be in right standing with God, to be in right relationship with God. Again, I wanted to expound on it. To be righteous means to be judged as right and acceptable to God. Who's the judge? God is. The moment that I judge myself as righteous, I've already failed. The moment I come before God and say, God, I've had a great week, I haven't sinned, I'm spotless, I'm doing a great job, I am righteous before you. The moment I step into the role as a judge, I'm back under the law. The moment I allow someone else, my wife's opinion, my brother's opinion, my boss's opinion, my my father, my mother. The moment I allow their opinion of my righteousness to become the judge, I'm back under the law again. There's only one judge, and it's Jesus Christ. And so, to be righteous is to be judged right and acceptable by Him. Not because of what I can do or what I have done, but because Jesus paid a price once and for all. And if I am in Christ, I am a new creation, and I am now not under the law or under the dominion of sin anymore. I am now under the influence of the kingdom and under the influence of grace. So righteousness does not come from obeying the law. Because if righteousness could come from obeying the law, then Jesus would not have needed to come. Come But it can't come through the law. So Jesus had to come to show us the way. And so righteousness cannot come from the law. It can only come through relationship with Jesus as the savior. It's critical. We say it all the time. We've said it so much that it's lost its meaning. This is a relationship. It's not a religion. We are not part of a religion. We didn't join a club. We didn't join this club of Christianity or this club called the church. We didn't do that. We entered into a relationship with a man named Jesus who loves us. And his love compels us to live certain ways. But I didn't join a club To check the boxes to say, yeah, I'm in the club because I do these things. I am in the club because I'm I have the same father as the people in the club. And we've we've lost the art of relationship, and we've corporate we made it corporate, and we've made it um, we've put it back on stone again instead of living and personal. But how many have noticed that Jesus isn't like stone? He's a personally present Savior. How many have realized that? Like, he's a friend. Like, he doesn't just drop the rock of the law on top of me. He talks to me like a friend would talk to me. How many have had that happen? Like Jesus talks to you personally, in your language, too. On, yeah. he, knows, he knows your inside jokes and he'll use them. He's personally present. Yeah he's so relational. We're watching the, the the chosen. If you haven't watched it, watch it. But I love the way they portray Jesus as just this personal, loving, gentle savior. It's beautiful. I, mean, I cry the whole, the whole show. I'm like, they, they, they nailed it. No one's ever nailed it before. This show nailed it. It's so beautiful. And you see early on when, when, when Mary, is changed. Mary Magdalene, who had the demons, when she's changed, you see the countenance change because she looks like Jesus now. And there's just this whole thing where she's fallen in love with Jesus. And so she didn't even know why they're gonna uphold the Shabbat and the Sabbath because they haven't done it in a long time. But all of a sudden, Jesus meets her and she falls in love with this man named Jesus. And now she's wanting to, to honor the Sabbath all of a sudden, not because he told her to or made a rule, but because he's personal and he loved her and he called her by her real name. Yeah. This is who we've fallen in love with. I didn't fall in love with the church. Yeah, come on. I love the church, but I didn't I, I didn't fall in love with the church. You you love the church, right? But you didn't fall in love with the church. You fell in love with a man named Jesus who paid for all of our sins, who who showed us that through him we can have dominion over sin and we can live under grace. It only comes through this relationship. There is no other way for us to be free. Amen? Grace frees us from the oppression of the law. It's just true. Grace frees us from the the oppression and the oppressive nature of the law because the Bible says that the Lord is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 16, 17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's liberty. What did did Isaiah 61 say? What did did Luke 4 say? What did Matthew say? Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. To proclaim captives, to be freed, to release people from prison. Come on. To set at liberty those that are bound. Jesus came. The spirit of the Lord is upon him. It's the spirit of God upon Jesus, the the person we have intimate relationship with that frees us in our life. It's not obeying the law or doing good things. It's this relationship. But here's the thing. Most of us don't know what to do with freedom. It's like that thing that if you ask your wife, you have kids, you ask your wife, hey, you have a free day to do whatever you want to do. And you're like, hey, babe, what do you want to do today? You can do anything you want to do. You're like, she's like, I have no idea. I haven't been free in so long. I have no clue what I want to do with my time. It's like sometimes you ask me, where do you want to go eat? And I'm like, "Mm, man, I usually just go wherever the kids want to go, wherever like. It's been a long time. Since. I want a cheeseburger. That's right. That's what I want. Uh, but, but we don't know what to do with freedom sometimes. Yeah. So we've been set free. We've been removed out from out under the weight of the law, out, out from under the oppression of the law. And we've been put in Jesus. And we say, I've been put in Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's the key to all of this. I have been put in Christ under grace. Yeah. Right. And now I'm free to do whatever I want. And that's where we trip up. If we get past this whole first few moments and we get to this point, like, okay, you're right. You've 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 convinced me, I believe it. I'm free. Now what? Now what? And then this is where (laughs) over time this is why Paul had to write this. Now I want to go here before I, I jump ahead. And if you continue Romans 6, and you go to verse 15 and 16, and I use the passion here because I, I enjoy the way he words it here. He says, so what should we do then? Now that we're free, now that we're no longer under the law, we're, we no longer are under the dominion of sin, we are now under grace, what should we do? And he's like, should we sin to our heart's content since there's no law to condemn us anymore? He's like, what a horrible, what a terrible thought. Miss the whole point if that's what we do. Don't you realize that grace frees you to choose your own master? See, he's saying you once were under the dominion of a taskmaster, either sin or the law. Everyone listen to this. As much as we like to think that we can be our own ruler, we can never be our own ruler. We have to have a ruler over our life. Like, that doesn't really make sense. and It sounds counterintuitive, but I know it's true. Because if I don't have Jesus as my ruler, then I have something else as my ruler. Either I will have the religious law or I will have sin. But something will be influencing my life. I have to have a ruler. And what he's saying is like, don't you know that because you've been removed from the dominion of sin... And under the weight of the law, the other two rulers, and you've been put under this new one, you get to decide who rules your life. You get to choose. Whew. He says, but choose carefully. Because for you surrender yourself to become a servant or bound to the one you choose to obey. He's saying now you're free to choose. You can obey God, you can obey the law, dangerous, or you can obey sin. But here's what happens. If you obey, whoever you obey becomes your master. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master. And it will it will own you and reward you with death. Woo! Does not sound like a good deal. But, last verse there. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. I get the reward that Jesus deserves by being in Christ simply by loving him. Everyone say loving him and obeying him. You see the, the order has to go love and obey. It can't go, it can't go obey into love. What we've tried to do in the church is we have tried to get people to obey themselves into loving God and it just doesn't work. It's upside down. We can't discipline ourselves into loving God. We need to fall in love with him. That's why our services need to be saturated with his presence. Because when he comes into a room, everyone wants Jesus to be their king. When we really meet him, everyone wants Jesus as king. No one wants some other king when they meet Jesus. He's the best. Why would I want second best, third best? He's the best. And so we have to have this love first before we can obey. It's really important. because the deception comes in and here's the deception we're free we get to choose and over time if we're not careful as we live in freedom we can believe the lie yeah. that we're free because we're following the rules yeah. Come on. oh yeah. it's the Galatians 5.1 you foolish Galatians who bewitched you after starting in the spirit, you are now trying to complete your salvation in the flesh? Why would you make yourself suffer for that when Jesus already suffered? This is what Paul's saying. Jesus already suffered for your freedom. Why would you put this new yoke back on you again? It's because we don't know what to do with freedom. Because the freedom, comes from our love and now there's an obey part that comes with it but we deceive ourselves in thinking that my obedience is what causes my righteousness but it's not it's my love yeah it's my love that causes righteousness to be built inside of me my love compels me to act righteously to love righteousness but it's only love that can help me obey it's impossible for me to obey if I don't love And we forget that it's always grace that makes us free. It's not behaving that makes us free. Like we can do all the right things and come before God and bring our righteousness to him and say, hey, here we are. We're standing here in our righteousness. Look at all the good things we've done. And he says to us, I didn't even know you. Your righteousness is what? Filthy rags. rags. But I've done all the right things. You missed the whole point. It's love then obey. When we believe this lie, guess what we will adopt? Legalism. We haven't talked about legalism in the church in a long time. Because in my head, I grew up, Legalism was the clothesline preaching that some of us grew up under, We're like, well, you, you don't wear shorts, and you don't, you don't wear hats, and you don't get tattoos, and you don't do this. You don't play cards, because cards are evil. There could be hidden images on those cards, and you're brainwashed, you're like, you don't play dominoes either, because there's gambling. You could gamble if you start doing this stuff, because it's too much fun. You can't have any fun. <laughs> don't you dare. Don't you dare po- play poker for money. That's a sin. Don't you do that. I mean, we can go play golf for money, but you can't play poker for money, right? I always had this argument. Back in the day, I'm like, what's the difference of me playing a poker tournament and playing in a golf tournament? I pay to enter the tournament. If I win, I make money. I, I don't. So, you understand what I'm saying? We get into that legalism stuff into the church. But legalism is a little bit more than this. But I want to set this foundation. You have to remember that the law was only given after God showed himself as merciful. God didn't just drop the law on Israel. He delivered them from slavery. He delivered them from oppression. He delivered them from their enemies. And only after he promised to make them a nation with their own land, come on, only after that did he bring them the law. See, Israel's response to his mercy, to him leading them out of bondage and out of slavery, was, wow, God is amazing. They sang songs about it. You delivered us from Egypt and you marched us through the river and you parted it on the right and the left and you marched us through the sea and you parted. They sang their songs about their God, right? All this stuff came because he showed himself who he is, the benefits of being in relationship with him. It would be like a a wise suitor to bring his benefits before the person that he's chasing after to say, if you were with me, look at what all you get, right? This is how God revealed himself to Israel. I will be your deliverer, I will be your protector, I will provide for you. Even when you're in the wilderness, your shoes won't wear out, I will take care of you. Like all this stuff he began to demonstrate to Israel, right, and they're like, God is amazing, everything he does is right, everything he does is righteous, everything he does is just, and they fell in love with him and they were enticed to know him. Then he gave them his law. And you're like, oh, he gave him the law because he wanted to, to, to force him into specific behaviors. No, here's what I think. I think he gave the law not as a means to know him, but as a means to walk the ancient path of wisdom that he walks. They already knew him. They didn't need the law to get them to know him. They knew him, but they needed the law to be written on their hearts So that they could follow the paths that leads to prosperity and to blessing because they didn't know what the paths were. We were living our own way. We were going our own direction, doing our own thing, being the ruler and master of our own lives and wondering why. Man, I tried really hard. I did all the wise business decisions. Why did this thing fail? Maybe there's a path that I missed of God's. And so God's like, hey, guys, you want to know why that thing blew up? There is a law of God that if you will write this law in your hearts, if you will live by it, you will prosper. You will, your, your leaves will never, never wither. Come on, they will always produce fruit. You'll be planted by the river if you follow this law. If you meditate on it day and night, it will be strength to your bones. It will protect your children. Like, But we love you, God. He's like, here, listen to me. If you'll follow this way, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Follow me, love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength. That's the greatest commandment, to Love. Not to do these things, but from love, there are ancient paths that are the wisdom of God that are written down as laws. And what God is saying is that if you live this way, there is a reward at the end of it because this is the path that I walk. So Israel looked at God and thought, man, God is so amazing. He's so awesome. What makes him so awesome? They begin to wonder what makes him so amazing. So God says, here's the way I live. Here's my law. Not here's a law to put on you as oppression, but here's the way that I live. And if you will love me and live these paths, things will go well for you. Huh. But it's always love first. Everyone following? Yeah. What we do and what we have done and what Israel even did over time huh, was that they thought we could shortcut it. Yeah. I can just do it my way. And, and because I'm under grace or because I'm, I, know, I know him, then I'm going to be okay. And, and, and it doesn't work like that because I need a Savior. Amen? Everyone say, I need, a I need a Savior. And so we dangerously fall into this trap. If we don't live in freedom as believers, if we don't exercise that freedom over time, We will exercise legalism. I think I'm convinced of this. About a year or two ago, the Lord began to tell me the church is going, like talking about our church, is going to step into freedom that we never imagined. Like a lightness, uh, where the weightiness that we've been carrying will be lifted off of us and we'll be light and that we will run fast, that there will be a grace that comes upon the house and that we'll be free. And all those triggers that we built into our brain, All those legalistic triggers that kept us from being any fun that became oppressive, all those things were going to be put in their proper light. And I begin to think about this and I'm like, you know what? You're right. Of course he's right. And here's what I, again, I've come to this conclusion. If I don't exercise my freedom, I will fall back into legalism. And he's like, well, 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 since we're free, should we sin? Well, we missed the whole point if that's where our brain goes. We need, to, we need to get that thought out and replace it. If my thinking is, well, if I'm free and I'm under grace and there's no penalty, for, the, then I can just do whatever I want. Yeah, that's true. I can do whatever I want. But if it's not the ancient path of God, there's a bad consequence at the end of the path. Period. Fact. But if I don't exercise my freedom and find out what freedom is, then I'm missing the whole point of Christianity. Paul said to them, he says, it is for freedom that Christ set you free. Like he set you free not to get you back to zero. He set you free for you to run forward in freedom. This is my word to you today. You have been set free to experiment with your freedom. You're like, well, that sounds dangerous. That's because our brain goes with what can I get away with? Well, what can I do that I used to think was wrong that I can try now? But that's not God's thinking. That's not God's thinking. Because he says here, don't use your freedom to serve yourself. Don't use your freedom to fulfill the desires of the flesh. It teaches us clearly here. But he desperately wants us to try our freedom out. Like We don't know what we're capable of unless we go for it. Amen. We tell our kids in soccer practice, whenever you're in drills, try stuff you would never try in the game. Try it. Man, who knows? You may get so good at it, you can bring it into the game. Just try it. You never know. There's, I, we're, you'll never get in trouble in training for trying some crazy move because you're trying something you've never done before. Try it. You may find out you're actually capable of doing it. And what happens if you pull that thing off in a game? Not only are you gonna, like everyone's gonna be like in awe of what you just did, but you never get there if you don't try it in training. Try it. Well, what, what am I talking about? Try to prophesy. Try to do the things Jesus did. Try to heal the sick. Like, I can't heal the sick. You're right, but he told us to heal the sick. <laughs> I can't heal the sick. Absolutely, that's true. But Jesus said to heal the sick. He told us to do it, but we can't do it. Absolutely, that's the, that's the lesson. I can't do it, but if I'm in Christ, I can do all things. So try to heal the sick. I love how my wife goes for it in public places. I'm, I'm the person, when I'm in a meeting or I'm in private, like, just leave me alone, don't talk to me. We're in a, a, a meeting for Kindergarten and we're meeting new parents and, and this lady behind us she introduces herself and, and she starts to talk to us and she tells us this horrible story that they're going through pay RJ. You heard that? Oh yeah. yeah. Rough dude. Boy, yeah. Okay, we'll talk more. Anyway, there's this contractor in in Arlington that was trying to sue the AISD saying that they owed him money, blah 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 blah. So you see these signs all over Arlington, it says pay RJ, and I'm like, what is that? This has been going on for like two or three years pay RJ. What is this going on? And so you almost like, yeah, pay RJ, give him his money. Somebody, right? Or Herbert. I don't know if it's a man or woman, but give them their money. Give them, give RJ their money. And then you start researching. And you're like, RJ might be a little shady. <laughs> don't pay RJ. He's so basically these people bought a house in, in our neighborhood, which we didn't know and paid RJ and RJ ran off with the money and a lot of people's money and signed and filed bankruptcy. And so they've had a house in our neighborhood since like October and it's not finished. A beautiful house and it's not finished. And she's like, we don't know what to do. Like we're, we're living in Airbnb. And Mandy's like, I'm like, man, we'll pray for you. I'm such a good pastor. We're going to pray for you later. Uh, forget this, but I'll, we're going to pray. And Mandy's like, no, we're going to pray right now. I'm like, that's right. We're going to pray right now. <laughs> So we're at this. So she's like, babe, pray. I'm like, and then then I'm activated. Once I get past my stupid, selfish brain, I'm active. Like, absolutely. God, this is an injustice, you know? And so we pray for this lady. And I, I love that Mandy's like, let's experiment with our freedom. We carry Jesus. We carry solutions. Yeah, and when we prophesy with this lady, we made, we pr- prayed things and prophesied things that we hope the Lord comes through because we really felt him in the moment. Like, God, you're going to bring back, this is going to happen yeah. fast. You're going to turn this around. And we, we're practicing this stuff. Yeah. She tells me last night, hey, we're going to go for it. We're going to have a, a chili cook-off in the, in the neighborhood. I'm like, What? <laughs> we're going to invite people. What? what are we? <laughs> She's like, yeah, we're going to invite all the neighbors over. We're going to have a chili cook-off, and we're going to let them know who we are. Like, I love that Manny's like, oh, freedom. Let's run for it. I'm the opposite end of it. I'm legalistic. I'm like, Oh, let's just let's restrict ourselves. And God's saying, you know, be free. Go for it. So let's look real quick. I'm going to do this quickly. Legalism. It's the idea that I can earn salvation by doing good works by living certain disciplines, by possessing certain behaviors or obeying the law. That's legalism. It is also the belief that Christians should not engage in social practices perceived as contrary to a Christian witness. And we use Christian there because it's the club Christian. Because different churches have different rules. So like in this church, it may be great for you to dance and shout and I'm just using an easy a non-threatening example, but you may go down the street to another church and you may want to dance and shout and they're like, yeah, we don't do that here. We're in our Christian circle, All right? So there's this legalism like, okay, you're free to do it in some places, but not in this place. Or you, you can pray for someone to be healed, but you got to do it in a back room. Like uh, these are easy examples, right? But we have these things built in. We are good because of what we do not do. Legalism is I'm good because of what I choose not to do, what I deprive myself of. That makes me righteous, and that's not godly at all. Legalism is adding our own rules to God's rules and treating them as if they're his law. And then we hold others to our interpretation of his law. In other words, we act like we're the judge. And here's the last one that gets me, just nails me. It's the attempt to keep the letter of the law, while ignoring the spirit of the law. Well, I, I did. I did what he yeah. said to do. Yep. I'm good, man. I have a bad attitude, <laughs> but I did it. Come on, I obeyed. So it would be like, let's use this example. How can we keep the letter of the law? I'll use this. This is an example R.C. Sproul used, and he's like, basically, it's like the man who. Say there's a minimum speed limit of 55 miles per hour. And this man's going to make sure he at least goes 55 miles per hour everywhere he goes. Now, he's not going to go over the, the maximum of 70 because that's the law. We're legal. But that same man breaks the spirit of the law when it's raining or snowing. And he says, well, I have a legal right to go 55 even though there's ice on the road. It's an idiot way to live, right? Yeah. Dumb example. Dumb example. But this is what we do like. But I can do that thing. The Bible doesn't say that I can't do this thing or the Bible says I can. But then we throw the law. But we're we're abusing other people when we do it. We're not taking other people into account. We're being selfish with it. That's another form of legalism that's crept into the church, especially in a a grace culture church. This is I can do whatever I want. Yeah, we can do whatever we want, but we don't offend our brother when we do it. Y'all okay? All right. The point is, we're under grace. Covered a lot of ground. Went pretty quickly. But we're not under the law anymore. And I don't want us to be legalistic about stuff. There is a law of God. There are ways of God that we should follow. Because they lead to life. Amen? How many believe that? The laws of God, the way God says to live leads to life. Any other way leads to death, period. And that's the point. We're not under the law anymore, but because I love God, I want to live the way he lives. I want access to what he has access to. Would you stand with me? And we're going to wrap this up quick and we're going to come down here. We're going to pray. See, one of the great the goals, I'm going to finish with this statement. One of the goals of grace is to make murky waters clear. Grace wants to make things that are unclear, clear. One of the goals of legalism is to make clear things murky. Legalism makes things that should be obviously clear. We make it confusing. Why? so that we can be in power, we can be the judge. So God, we come to you right now. We ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Whew. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come on, welcome the Holy Spirit.